challenges. <laughs> this morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. If you picked up a reading list, by the way, for weeks 9 through, I don't remember what they are, to the end of our time together in Joshua, uh, those are the dates are off. So there's a date, week 9 should start with, I believe, uh, the 16th of May instead of the 23rd. So just continue on through the weeks. We'll try to print new ones of those for you next week. But in Joshua chapter 9, we see the continuation of the story of Israel as they are looking to settle, to take over the promised land that God had given them. So far, they have been through Jericho and Ai and experienced victories, though not without some difficulty in Ai. And now they are moving on to new areas. And they, in chapter 9, are presented with a series of choices. And this morning, we're going to take a look at those choices and the decisions they make and how those can apply to our lives. So hopefully by now, you found Joshua chapter 9. So if you would please stand with me as we read through this chapter together and honor God's word. Uh, again, we're reading through a whole chapter. So if in the middle of this, you need to take a seat, that is certainly understandable. Joshua chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hevites, Hivites, sorry, and the Jezebites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. And went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? Then Joshua, they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion the king of Heshbon, and to Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Azeroth. So that our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. And it, it was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and comely. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. 
At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Cherub, Baroth, Karoth, Jerom. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because, you, because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, it is easy to be conflicted, to think of all of the activities that we have, to think of all of the frustrations that have built up over the week, to think of all of the golden baubles that the world hands out to us. Lord, and to be distracted from why we are here. Lord, to forget that we gather together as your people to hear a word from you, to be changed, to hear your wisdom for our choices, to remember your grace in our mistakes. Father, I pray this morning as we unfold your word as we hear from you, Lord, that we would take these things to heart. Lord, that we would desire not just to be your people in name only, but that we would desire to be your people in our actions and in our words. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As I said earlier, as we have looked at Joshua, we have seen now Israel march through Jericho and march through Ai and have great victories there, victories that certainly others would have heard about. And as that has happened, the neighborhood has gotten nervous. When you look in the first few verses of chapter 9, you see these groups coming together and there are different people groups of city kingdoms, and they're gathering together and saying, we can't do this on our own. Israel is too powerful. They're too great. They are going to wipe us off, pick us off one by one. We have to come together. 
And so a coalition forms. We see several different people groups from all over this geographical area, whether it be from the the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, or whether it be from north in Lebanon to the south. They are all coming together to mount one defense, except for one people, and that is Gibeon. Gibeon has a different plan altogether. Gibeon decides in their cunning that they are going to try to make peace with Israel. Now, Gibeon was no small, small place. It was about six and a half miles northwest of Jerusalem on a major trade route. In many ways, Gibeon was a vital area for military success in the region as well as commerce. Chapter 10, verse 2, we actually get a description of the city. It says, he, the king of Jerusalem, feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai, and its men were warriors. This was no pushover town. This was a town full of warriors who had been known for their valor in battle. They were a rich town, as as though they were one of the capital cities And yet they had chosen to make covenant. And so the rest of the coalition gets nervous at this. So when it says that Gideon decided to make this choice, it was not because they were some small village that thought they were too weak. They were a large city filled with good fighters. And yet they make the choice. It's going to be better for us to make peace than try to join with our neighbors and defeat Israel. Now, they go about that a little bit differently. What we see in the rest of the passage is the deceit of Gibeon towards Israel. And yet it's interesting here when you read verse 3, it says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. Nowhere in chapter 9, other than possibly where Joshua curses Gideon, Do you see, Gibeon, do you see the word of God make a comment, a negative comment on their actions? In fact, if anything, the word of God goes the other direction and makes sure to highlight the mistake of Israel, not the lie of these people. And I think part of that is to make, drive home the point that there is a different set of uh, expectations for God's people. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to call yourself God's people like Israel does, then there is an expectation that you are going to act differently from the world, that you're going to make different choices, that you're going to do different things. Whereas Gibeon just acts like the world. Sinners are going to act like sinners. Lost people are going to act like lost people. So the word of God, while it is not condoning lying, it is not surprised that lost people lie. It's like, okay, yeah, that's what they're going to do. On the other hand, it goes out of its way, chapter 9 goes out of its way to make the point that Israel has done something sinful. That they are the ones that have made the mistake in not seeking the Lord. Back to, our, back to our chapter though. We see 
Gibeon's deceit, it starts with a lie. They come and they dress the part. They put on garments that are worn out. They put on sandals that are worn out. They put on, they, they, they grab old sacks that are worn out. They put dry, crusty bread in them. They get worn out wineskins. They do everything that is humanly possible to make themselves appear like they have gone on a long trip. And then when they get to Israel, they say just that. They start with a lie. We're not from around here. We're from way over there. I think it's interesting that they don't tell them where. It's like, uh, where are you from? Ah, uh, you've never heard of it. <laughs> That's kind of the answer that they're giving. And Israel certainly begins to ask the right questions, right? Israel at first, at the beginning of this chapter, they're like, uh, who are you? Where are you from? How can we know that you're not from around here? And the response is what? Well, look at us. Do we look like we just traveled a short amount of time? Of course not. We've been on this journey a long time. Trust us. It's interesting, by the way, that when they talk about the victories of Israel, they don't talk about recent events. Do you notice that? They talk about things that have happened some time ago. They don't talk about Jericho and Ai. They talk about things that have happened months ago. Again, trying to cover their tracks to say, oh, well, we don't know the recent news. We've been on the road. We only know the things that have happened a long time ago. And yet, as they go on this story, Israel is still a little bit confused. There's something inside of the leaders that's going, eh, this is not right. And so they go to step two. Step two is to cover the lie with flattery. Now, I'm sure you have never experienced this in your life or never tried to do this. Certainly, every child that I know of, including myself and probably very soon my daughter, has tried flattery to win over mom and dad. Every single one of us. To get what we want, it is natural for the human to resort to flattery from time to time. Hey, I know that you're like the smartest person I know, so... I need you, I need your help on this. Hey, you've, you've got it all together. Hey, you, you have done so many good and wonderful things. I know that you're a good person. Do you think you could help me out? Don't pay attention to that voice inside of you that is like something's not right here. Pay attention to the fact that I think you're wonderful. That's what they do. They say, they say, I know that you are not sure about things. I know that there's something inside of you that is un unre thinks that this is odd. But we have heard so many good things about you. We've heard about how powerful you are. We've heard about victories that you've had in battle. We have heard so many good things about you. We're, we're coming out of honor for you. We're coming out of respect they pour the flattery on thick and heavy. And Israel buys it. They, they take some of their provisions, but they begin to maybe ease up on the questions. They begin to question it less and less. Oh, these people can't be this good. Look at how smart they are about us. They have to be okay. To take it a step further, we have what I would consider a questionable conversion. You see where 
in verse 9, they say, We have come from a very distant country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. I say this is a questionable conversion because it's surrounded by a lie. It's surrounded by flattery. And into that flattery, into that deception, they introduce a conversion, a belief in God. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Because they obviously want an outcome. These people obviously want the outcome of safety and protection. So it's hard to tell whether this conversion is real or not. Now we see a little bit something different at the end of chapter 9 where we see that they are, they are afraid of God. They are afraid of Israel. They are afraid of what's happening. But it's hard to tell here at the beginning of chapter 9 if this is real or not. And certainly the world will do the same thing. The world will lie. The world will flatter. And if necessary, the world will even say, oh, we believe the same things you do. We believe like you do. We believe this. We believe that. Oh, absolutely. When I was in Madagascar, this is why after some time it became much, much more efficient. Maybe is not the right word. Much more effective is, is a better word. It became much more effective for me not to be the one that led an individual to Christ. Because what you learn as a missionary often in a third world country is those people look at you and they all see dollar signs. So you never knew if the yes was a yes because they wanted to truly know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior or if their yes was just to see if they could get something from you. And so me and my friend devised a brilliant uh, strategy of going into the market and him yelling as loud as he could, come see the white guy who can speak our language. Like I was a clown on a corner. And they would come, people, it was, it was hilarious. People would come and they would like, you can speak Malagasy? Oh yes, I can speak Malagasy about like a three-year-old can. And I would share with them and they would listen and then I would go, have you met my friend Chris? And Chris would share the gospel with them. And sometimes, many times they would say no, but the ones that said yes, it was not because they were looking for a white guy for salvation, it's because they truly believed. But the world will come to the church, the world will come to the individual and say, oh, we're not that different. We believe the same things, trust us. And the whole time they have a completely different agenda. Certainly that's what we see here. And Israel buys it hook, line, and sinker. They agree. They say, sure, let's make this covenant. Let's agree. We will spare your lives. We're not worried about you. It's all okay. And what happens is they create a problematic covenant. It's a problematic covenant. It's problematic because it goes directly against what they had been told to do. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezrites, and the Hivites, and the Jezebites, 
Seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods." It's problematic because it is, goes directly against what God had told them to do. Do not make peace with this people. Do not intermarry with this people. They will turn your hearts away from me. And that's exactly what happens. Throughout Israel's history, anytime they make a decision like this, it results in them turning away from God. The same is true for us. We must be careful in the agreements that we make and the choices we make. Because if we are not careful, if we buy into the lies and the flattery of the world, the world will turn us away from him. It's a problematic covenant because it goes directly against what God tells them to do. It's a problematic covenant because they were deceived because of a lack of direction. You'll notice that it says there that they, the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel of the Lord. Let me be clear with this because I think the word is very clear with this. Israel was deceived not because of the lie that they heard but because they did not seek God. They were not deceived because of the lie. They were deceived because they did not seek him. Oh, that we would learn that lesson. Brothers and sisters, yes, the world tempts. Yes, the world lies. Yes, the world would like to distract us. But we are not deceived because of the world and its temptation. We are deceived because we stop looking to God. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. We think we can make the choice. We think we can look at the circumstances and figure it out. And we never stop and ask him. We never stop and listen for him. And so many times the choices that we're making, we don't even understand that he's already given us the answer. He's already given us the answer. When I was still at Calvary, I walked in to a revival meeting and I saw it was like third, second or third day of revival and I looked over to the side and I saw a friend of mine who was normally outgoing and very bubbly and the friend was upset visibly. And I walked over and I said, what's going on? And she began to tell me about how a mutual friend of ours had hurt her feelings, how she had done something to her that she now was grieving and didn't know what to do about the situation, didn't know what to do with the relationship. She said, I've been praying for three days now about this, and I just, God will not answer my prayer. And as gently as I possibly could, I told my friend, he's already answered you. Scripture tells us that when we are hurt, we are to go to that individual and offer forgiveness, to seek reconciliation. You haven't heard from him in a Moses burning bush moment because he's already given you this. It's just right in front of you. 
So many times that is the case in our life. We come to a fork in the road where we must make a decision, and he has already given us the answer. And yet we make these decisions alone. It's fitting that this service comes on graduation Sunday or in, in our community. Between the ages, young people, between the ages of 16 and probably 25, maybe 30, you're going to make some of the most important decisions that you make in your life. You're going to make decisions about occupation. You're going to make decisions about school. You're going to make decisions about how much debt you're comfortable with. You're going to make decisions about who you marry. And those decisions at age 18, 16, 18 through 25, 30 are going to follow you for the rest of your life, for the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years. I beg you, I beg you, take them to the Lord. Father, who would you have me to marry? Father, who would you, how, what business would you have me to go into? Father, what debt would you have me to take on? Father, what school would you have me to go to? Would you have me to go to school, have me go to school? Father, what would you have me do? I promise you he will answer you. In many ways, he already has. Young people in this church, many, many of our youth group know that when they begin dating someone, there is one question I'm going to ask. There's one question that when Brian finds out that they're dating someone, Brian's going to ask this question without fail, and it is, do they love Jesus? Beyond that, I hope they make you happy. I hope for your sake that they're cute. But that's your choice. If you don't care about the cuteness factor, then you go for it. But do they love Christ? Because upon that, the word is clear. What business should I go into? What debt should I take? Look to the word. It is clear. Because these choices carry with them consequences. Israel makes this choice and as soon as they make it, within three days, they realize that they have made a mistake, that these people are not who they said they are, that they're completely different. And now they have another choice to make. Now it's, do we honor the agreement that we've made? We've made this promise. Yes, we were kind of deceived in making the promise, but we've made this agreement. Now do we follow it? I love the response that they give. It says, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. They repeat that phrase multiple times. When we come to making decisions, especially when we make difficult decisions, as Israel is making here, whether or not to honor this agreement, their first response, and here they get it right, their first response is, not what is best for us. Their first response is how, what best glorifies God. When we come to decision making, especially when we come to difficult decisions, our response as Christians should be not what is best for me, not, as what, not what is best for my pocketbook, not what is best for what makes me look better, but rather our first, our first response should be what glorifies God because people are watching. People are going to watch what decision you make. 
Israel decided we cannot go back on our word. Especially a word that we swore before God. Oh, that we would see this, whether it be in our marriages or in our business dealings, whether it be in our personal life. Let us worry more about his name than our own. It will guide us the right way every time. It was a problematic covenant, but in the end, they make the right choice to honor it. And yet, there are still consequences. They have to live with these consequences. And we're going to go through these quickly, but they go through the consequence of now there's friction with leadership. It says that the people, the congregation, were upset with their leaders because they had made this decision and they had made a poor decision. And so now there's a little bit of distrust that happens here. Sometimes that happens when we make bad decisions. We have to deal with the consequences of the relationships that we have. It meant lost opportunity. Gideon was, a, Gideon was a great city. It was a wealthy city. It was a military, military advantage to have that city. And yet what we find is now that opportunity is lost. They can't have that anymore. And it's a lasting burden. It carries over. We see in 1 Samuel, hundreds of years later, in 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet is begging God, why are we being punished? Why are we being disciplined? And God's response is because King Saul, your king, has put to death some of the Gideonites, or some of the Gibeonites. Because Saul has put them to death, because Saul violated the treaty that Joshua made so long ago. The consequences to Israel are friction with leadership, lost opportunity, lasting burden. In the same way, when we make decisions, there certainly is forgiveness offered when we make those wrong decisions, but often they will carry with them lasting consequences of friction in relationships, of lost opportunities, and of lasting burdens. Young people, ask anyone here that's lived long enough to make a poor decision and they will tell you that there are lasting consequences even when there is great forgiveness. Ask your pastor. Lasting consequences. Thankfully, there is grace. There's grace. As we look at the rest of this passage, we see grace even in God's response and Joshua's response to Gibeon. We see God's faithfulness here. Gibeon, and I've spelled it wrong there, Gibeon is cursed. Is ble- they are cursed, but even in that curse, they find blessing. They find blessing. They wanted to save their lives. They make a false, probably, conversion. And yet, what happens? They are made water bearers and tree cutters for the tabernacle. They are drawn not, they are not pushed farther away from God. They're actually drawn closer to him. They are going to be in the presence of God more than many Israelites because they are going to serve in the tabernacle. They go from destruction to salvation, certain destruction to now salvation. They are going to live among Israel and they go from foreigner to family. 
One of my favorite parts of this story is not actually found in Joshua. It's found in Nehemiah. If you know the story of Nehemiah, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, has absolutely been laid waste. It's been completely destroyed. And Nehemiah takes a team and they begin to rebuild the wall. And there's a part of Nehemiah where Nehemiah describes these people, this family built this wall, and these family built this wall, and these family built this wall. Guess who you find in that list? It's the Gideonites. They are no longer foreigners. They are now family, working shoulder to shoulder to rebuild the wall. Even in our mistakes, there is God's faithfulness and there is God's grace. Doesn't mean that we should make mistakes and throw our hands up and say, well, God will make it all better. God will work it out in the end. It'll be fine. That's not the point of grace. It's, as Romans says, we shouldn't just go on sinning knowing that grace will abound. That, that's, not, that's not our attitude. Should not be our attitude. But I am so incredibly thankful that he takes my mistakes. And though I may have to suffer consequences, he can work them out for his glory. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of response. Maybe you are sitting here and you are a brother and sister in Christ. You have, have a relationship with God and you are faced with a choice. You have a choice before you and maybe even you know the answer. It's just not the answer you want. I pray that you would take it to him, that you would trust him, that you would know that he wants what's best for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you have choices in your past where you know, I did not seek the Lord and now I still have these consequences and you have guilt from those things. I pray that you would come to him and seek mercy and seek his grace. This morning, maybe you are here and you are not a believer. You've never put your faith and trust in him. He desires what's best from you. Gibeon, the people of Gibeon came and they they wanted life. And God gives them so much more than life. He gives them life, but then he also draws them closer to himself. And he gives them protection. And he adopts them into his family. This morning, you can know that same grace and mercy. You can know that safety in him if you will just trust him. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that you extend to us. Lord, that you desire what's best for us. That you don't want us to live with friction in relationships. You don't want us to live with uh, missed opportunities. You don't want us to live with burdens that last. Lord, you want us to live in abundance and in freedom. Father, I pray that we would seek you in the choices that we make. That we would seek you when we make mistakes. That we would know that you are faithful and trustworthy all the time. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand with us this morning.